You're listening to Bloomberg Law with June Grosso from Bloomberg Radio. The relationship between church and state was before the Supreme Court once again on Monday as the justices considered calls by religious schools for a broader exemption from employment discrimination lawsuits. The justices appeared divided along ideological lines. Here are Justices Sonia Sotomayor and Neil Gorsuch. You're asking for an exception to law that's broader than the ministerial exception generally and broader than is necessary to protect the church. Why couldn't we just simply say that a sincerely held religious belief about who is a minister should control, just like we do everywhere else in the First Amendment and in RIFRA? Joining me is Richard Garnett, a professor at Notre Dame Law School. Rick, explain what the ministerial exception is and when the Supreme Court recognized it. Sure. So lower courts went first on this issue. Lower courts recognized what they call the ministerial exception about 40 years ago. And the idea here was that for certain classes of employees, employment discrimination lawsuits couldn't go forward because if they did, it would get courts involved in you know what they thought was kind of the tricky business of having to interfere with religious decisions between ministers and religious institutions. And so this doctrine had been around for a long time. And the reason the Supreme Court never addressed it was because all the lower courts agreed that there was such a doctrine. And there were, there were disputes about details in particular cases. But the basic idea that if the separation of church and state means anything, it means that the government can't tell churches who to hire as their ministers. That's, there was a lot of consensus on that point. Then the Supreme Court weighed in in 2012. They finally did take a case. And they ruled unanimously that, yes, there is a ministerial exception, that the, the First Amendment does not permit some employment discrimination lawsuits to go forward. So, you know, it would be illegal for Walmart to refuse to hire a woman, but the government doesn't have the power to tell an Orthodox Jewish congregation that it has to hire a woman to be its rabbi and so on. The disagreement has been not so much about the principle of the thing. I mean, I think everybody has kind of an instinct. The government can't make the Catholic Church ordain women priests, but it's more about the shape of the doctrine, right? Who counts as a religious institution? Who counts as a ministerial employee? And there have been a lot of cases that have been pretty easy. If a church fires its pastor, that's pretty obviously a, a minister. So what was the main issue in these cases, which involved teachers in Catholic schools who were not ordained ministers, who had a mix of job duties, religious and secular? And so the issue was, you know, how do you decide who counts as a ministerial employee? And in these two cases, the lower courts had taken a narrower view than most courts had Most courts had taken a pretty deferential approach, you know, not wanting to kind of get involved and wading into the weeds about, you know, counting up how many minutes a teacher is is doing religious subjects or what have you. And what the justices were wrestling with was not whether there should be a ministerial exception. I think all the justices agree there should be one. The question they were wrestling with was kind of how far should it reach? Should courts be kind of second-guessing religious institutions' designations of their own ministers? Should they leave it up to them? And so on. And how did the justices weigh the competing considerations? The justices, you know, were asking lawyers on both sides, well, you know, what about this kind of case? Or, you know, what if you have a teacher who does, you know, religion for two hours a day, but is also a gym coach? Or what if you have somebody who's a, they're a Lutheran person at a Catholic school who says grace before meals? You know, I think for one side of the case, they wanted to show these hypotheticals like, look, this thing could sweep really broadly. And and would that undermine the importance of uh, anti-discrimination law? The other side was trying to make the point, I think, that, look, we don't want 
secular courts getting in the business of making these kind of fine-grained distinctions based on how many minutes a day a person might spend teaching math versus teaching catechesis and theology. And, you know, at a lot of schools, the math teacher does play an important religious role, and, and you can't make it just depend on the label. The arguments at the end of the day were really about the difficulty of line drawing. There was a lot of consensus at the level of high principle, right? Religious freedom is important. Religious institutions should get to govern themselves and decide who their ministers are. We don't want secular courts involved in these decisions. There seemed to be a fair bit of agreement on those points. But the argument was more about where do you draw the line? So, Rick, what's your sense of how the justices might line up in the case? My read of the situation was that maybe it won't be unanimous this time, but that you'll still have a majority of the justices saying, look, this doctrine is important and it really should prevent courts from getting involved in um, sort of second guessing the employment decisions that religious institutions make about people whom they regard as having an important ministerial or religious role. Justice Gorsuch said that we don't second-guess these sincerely held religious beliefs in First Amendment cases. Why should we hear? So do you think that enough justices will come down and say, we shouldn't second-guess this at all? Whoever religious institution says is a minister, that's a minister? Well, uh, he, used to, he was making an analogy to what we do in free exercise cases around the sincerely held belief issue. And that comes up in RIFRA cases, obviously, and it comes up in free exercise cases. Um, courts do inquire in those kind of cases into whether a claim about religion is sincere. I mean, if a court thinks that the, that the party is simply not telling the truth about their religious beliefs, then they don't have to uh, give credence to that. But I, I think what Justice Gorsuch was alluding to was the idea that, look, we take a pretty, we take a pretty light touch when it comes to um, second-guessing somebody who tells us what their religious beliefs are. And similarly, it makes sense in this context to take a pretty light touch to the question of if if a religious community tells us and tells the world that um, they regard a particular position as important to the religious mission, uh, it's not really our job to second guess that. Again, if we're going to take this kind of church-state separation idea seriously. I mean, and again, lurking in the background, and I think this is something that – Justice Kagan was particularly concerned with, uh, Justice Thomas also. There's a, there's a worry about the potential for discrimination against kind of unfamiliar religions or minority religions or just small institutions. Um, you know, these cases involved kind of Catholic parochial schools, and everybody's kind of familiar with that setup. But as some of the justices pointed out, there's a whole lot of religious institutions in this country where people wear a whole lot of different hats and where the roles that they're asked to play might be unfamiliar to your typical, again, kind of um, white Anglo-Saxon Protestant um, jurist. And so they, they don't want to come up with doctrines that run the risk that unfamiliar religions will not get the same protection as religions that are more kind of structured and formal and familiar. Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg, did she seem to be the justice who was most most on the side of the teachers? Yeah, I think Justice Ginsburg's concern, and again, and again Justice Ginsburg joined the opinion eight years ago, which uh, endorsed a pretty robust version of the ministerial exception. But I, I think what her concern was, was that 
you know, because the ministerial exception applies, even in cases where the employer's reasons for firing the person are not explicitly religious, she was worried about the exemption being too broad. Now, again, my view would be that that, that was what Hosanna Tabor said eight years ago, and, and she signed on to that. But I, I think her questions indicated a concern that you uh, that the ministerial exception might have the effect of um, of blocking a lot of employment discrimination lawsuits in cases that, at least in her view, don't have a lot to do with actual religious teaching and instruction. Do you see them drawing a line? What do you see them doing? No, I, I don't. I, I, I just really just don't think there's a line to be drawn. I mean, they, they declined to draw one in the Hosanna Tabor case eight years ago, and I don't think they'll draw one now. Um, it'll be, it's more a question of kind of the, um, the vibe of the approach. And I think the real, what's really in play is just how much deference we tell lower courts that they're supposed to be extending to the religious employers. And the flip side is, I mean, it, it's, you know, the, the people who want a narrower version of the ministerial exception, they want to put out certain markers, you know, like you, you have to have a certain title or you have to have a certain kind of training or you have to have a certain kind of certification or you have to spend a certain amount of time teaching religious subjects. And I just don't think the court is going to want to do that because with respect to any of those bright lines, you could think of cases that wouldn't satisfy them. So I, I suspect we're going to end up, frankly, probably where we were after Hosanna Tabor, which is just that there's a lot of factors to be considered. We don't want to have a one-size-fits-all thing because we have religious diversity in this country, but that the basic principle is one that respects both free exercise values, that as we think religious communities have a free exercise of religion right to pick their own ministers, uh, and also this kind of church-state separation concern where we really don't want um, employment discrimination lawsuits to become a, a mechanism where secular courts are kind of digging into um, internal religious decisions about who should be a minister and who won't. So it'll be, you know, for, for a certain uh, kind of lawyer, frankly, I, I, I'm often this way myself, who likes kind of bright line rules, um, I suspect we won't get one here. Um, I think instead what we'll get is kind of a, a general principle that's important, right, respecting religious autonomy, and then we'll get kind of a pretty deferential approach to, uh, to religious employers. But like Justice Gorsuch said, and I think you were right to pick up on that, there's always, it's always possible to ask about kind of the sincerity of a claim that a particular employee is a, uh, is a minister. So let me ask you this then, Rick, looking at this from another side. Does that mean that if someone fits the ministerial exception, let's just say sure, a lay teacher teaches religion, does that mean that the school can then fire her because she has cancer or because they don't like the way she dresses, that they can fire her for any reason and not be held to account? Right. So if the ministerial exception applies, it's, it's absolute. Um, uh, this is separate from – there's a separate rule in the um, Title VII and the employment discrimination laws, which give kind of broad protections to religious institutions to uh, – hire and to favor co-religionists, 
right? So you're, you're you know, a Catholic institution is allowed to prefer Catholics. Like that's just kind of, that's already a rule. The ministerial exception is separate. The ministerial exception does not care about the reasons for the employment decision. It's attached to the position and the relationship between that position and the religious institution. And this is, again, I think this is one of the things that had Justice Ginsburg um, hesitant and sort of nervous about this, is that when the ministerial exception applies, it's absolute. And so it does mean that sometimes the, the ministerial exception will protect religious institutions that behave badly. Um, there's, there's, there's no way around that, right? It's kind of like the freedom of speech protects people who say some really offensive things sometimes. Um, the ministerial exception can be misused in some circumstances by religious institutions to, uh, to shield employment decisions that are, that are bad. And that's just a fact of life. Um, and I, I don't, I don't think, I don't think advocates for the ministerial exception would, would deny that. It's just, that's an inevitable result of the fact that we have a principle of church autonomy and church state separation. And of course, then it just raises the question, well, religious communities and those who are parts of religious institutions um, need to be uh, asking themselves and maybe outside the context of litigation, um, how well they're, they're treating their, their members, their employees, their leaders, and so on. And it raises all kinds of questions about how you structure employment contracts and um, employee guidebooks and handbooks and all that kind of thing. But your question is an important one because you know, nobody should nobody should pretend otherwise. The ministerial exception does mean that when it applies, religious institutions can fire some people without having to give an account of that in a secular court. So now, how do you see the the justices lining up? Well, I, all nine of the justices believe that there is a ministerial exception, um, and so at a high level of generality, they will all agree. Um, with respect to this particular case, I'm not sure. If I had to guess, I would I would. But again, it's so risky, you know, making these kind of predictions on the basis of argument. But uh, I I thought there was enough skepticism on the part of justices. Ginsburg and Sotomayor that maybe they would side with these particular teachers in this particular case, um, but I, I would I would think that even in this case, um, since you know th- this wasn't the case involving like a really marginal employee, like sometimes the cases you hear about are, um, you know, what about the janitor or the school bus driver or what have you? Uh, these are still teachers who were teaching religion sometimes, and so I I, I guess I expect that you'll see at least seven justices siding with the religious school. Thanks for being on Bloomberg Law, Rick. That's Richard Garnett, a professor at Notre Dame Law School. And that's it for this edition of Bloomberg Law. Remember, you can always get the latest legal news by going to our Bloomberg Law podcast. You can find them on iTunes, SoundCloud, or at Bloomberg.com slash podcast slash law. I'm June Grosso. Thanks so much for listening. And remember to tune into the Bloomberg Law Show weeknights at 10 p.m. Eastern right here on Bloomberg Radio.